Hey, Kat. Welcome to The Recap. I'm excited that we get to hang out and chat. Two podcasters on one show is always my favorite kind of conversation. You went to a really exciting event called The Rising Tide of Consumer Brands. It was specifically an event for AAPI founders and merchants. And you got to go and go to New York, hang out with some of the coolest, kind of most innovative CPG brands in that space. So I thought we'd just kind of recap that. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was, first of all, I was so happy to have that opportunity to even go. It was super cool. No, it was fun. I did not expect to be as emotionally invested as I was, mm. which is surprising considering how like emotional I am normally. But it was really inspiring to hear everyone's stories and feel like maybe it was something that was possible for someone like me to do, starting their businesses and everything. And and then also learning from people who have gone through the whole path and gotten really successful. It was really cool. That was my favorite part, looking at the speaker lineup, the guests. You had everybody from Boxu, Fly by Jing, Omsom, like these brands that have really leveled up and are doing really mature business processing. And then also you've got people in the audience who are developing their very first product or trying to get to market or just now kind of entering like zero to one, one to end phase, which is really cool to have that combination. What was that like to see so many different phases of businesses? I think a lot of times we think that, oh, these businesses are so different because Fly by Jing is running this GMV and in retail and doing all these things. And if you're not there, then their stories aren't relatable. But I'm guessing your experience was the opposite was actually you can put a lot of people in a room at different business stages. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Actually, that was really cool. I spoke with one girl who hadn't launched her business yet. So shout out to Say Coffee Studio that's launching in September, I believe. But she kind of told me about her process of like leaving Meta and then coming up with this business venture to kind of combat what she was feeling with the burnout of working for a big company like Meta and like kind of wanting to do her own thing. and the origin stories of how she decided to do coffee. It was honestly super cool. And then hearing about the challenges that people have faced kind of in that beginning portion and having to like restart as well. One person that I talked to who had actually done a subscription box business, it was like a healthy foods business. And she actually stopped that because it just didn't work out the way that she wanted to and is restarting. That also was interesting to me because I think for me, my first inclination would be to like, just give up. <laughs> like if something yeah, didn't work yeah, yeah. out, I'm like, oh, all right, I guess that wasn't for me. But then she's right, like, oh. I guess this is not my yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe I'm not an entrepreneur. But then uh, she was like, no, let me just pivot, do something else. And I was like, that's inspiring. <laughs> that oh, so cool. so cool. We have to talk about this because it is also API month right now. And you are extremely involved in efforts that we do here at Recharge and really trying to bring this cultural movement into the forefront of what we do internally, what we do externally. What was it like, especially being Asian, being able to attend this event, marrying it to some of the other initiatives you've worked on, and to really like be in the cultural experience? What was that personally like for you? Honestly, like I said, it was really inspiring. I don't have my own business or I'm not and I'm not trying to like start my own business right now. But like it was inspiring in the sense where it felt like I could if I wanted to. And I know kind of an idea of what the sort of challenges 
would look like were I to go into it as an Asian woman. Some of the speakers were talking about how they really had to stand up for themselves, being an Asian woman in a room full of these older male figures, non-Asian male old figures, white men, yeah, asking them for money. You know what I mean? It, like <laughs> in the fundraising thing, it, it's kind of wild, but it, it's interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting. I definitely felt inspired and empowered that if I were to do this, people have gone that path before me and mm. succeeded and like been able to stand up for themselves and be strong and powerful like bosses. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> actually, it's probably my favorite thing about these brands. Even just going to Expo West, I went this year and I went last yeah. year. Those are the first two years. And last year, I think Fly by Jing was there, maybe some, but that was kind of the whole representation of Asian founded brands. And then this year, it was like four rows, like a whole section. There really has been this kind of emerging breakout trend with these brands. And to me, that's so exciting. And it brings my favorite piece of commerce really to the forefront, which is the founder story matters, the culture matters, the purpose for the brand and the products existing becomes a lot more important than just making another, you know, sparkling water or another protein bar. There's like this extra depth to the actual brands that are coming out of these kind of cultural movements and bringing Asian flavors into the U.S. market, that to me is super exciting. Yeah. So Danny from Boxu mentioned that also. A lot of other founders as well, being able to bring their experiences, personal experiences generationally, what their families have had to go through into the origin of their brands. For Danny, he wanted to bring like the flavors of Japan to people outside of Japan. And I think he successfully was able to make it so that his customer base is predominantly not Asian, which was a goal of his, I think, which is cool. Like you should be able to share your culture with people who are not from that culture. And even like Nguyen Coffee Supply, they use beans that are imported from Vietnam. And generally, Robusta beans is what they're called, are seen as like lesser than Arabica beans, which you'll see in other coffee stores like Starbucks, etc. Mm. But it's just different. And being able to kind of share the pride of being Vietnamese and having these Vietnamese coffee beans and bringing yeah. it into the shelves of Whole Foods is amazing. Yeah, my absolute favorite part of all this and why I was I was FOMOing from home watching you was it's back to the heart of commerce. It's about people sharing their value, about sharing their special secret magic skills, sauce, ingredients that make you you and sharing that with other human beings, like it's a lot less about selling shit on the internet to other people and a lot more, there's a lot more heart in it. I asked you for some some feedback on the event and you sent the most beautiful outlined, <laughs> amazing doc back to me. And I was like, somebody gift cat a raise. She's amazing. <laughs> you came back with like four key takeaways. Could you walk us through those like four big themes that you saw in the conversations? Yeah, so... First of all, this theme of from startup to acquisition, there was a lot of conversation about the journey from just starting your own brand to getting acquired and then like exiting. And that was like a talk with Vanessa Dew from HealthAid, for example. She really spoke a lot to that because they started off in like farmer's markets and then she actually recently exited. I think it was recently as founder. So being able to go through that journey and what that looks like and the struggles with that. And then the second one was this topic of like D2C versus retail. We've been talking about this a lot. 
it was interesting. I, I don't know. I feel like I learned a lot specifically from those conversations. They were really in the weeds about what it's like to get into retail. I think Sandro from Sanzo was like, yeah, you know, I used to get up at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and like go into the stores when they were stocking the shelves, like make sure that yeah. their products would be on the shelves or something like that. And like there was another panel on marketing with Crave Beauty, I think Sharma Brands and August. And they were talking about virality and how they market now with the mm. changes in iOS and stuff and like TikTok. And then just like starting from scratch, there was a lot of advice that they gave for people who are wanting to kind of do the same thing. And a lot of it kind of came down to starting group chats, finding yeah. people who are like-minded and then like communicating with them, which was cool. It was like very practical advice. And then fundraising as well, getting investors with your brand and what that looks like. Yeah, it was cool. I love it so much. Thank you for coming on the recap and giving us a little bit of recap of that event, because I think it's important both that we were able to be a sponsor and to be present in the event and to do a, a dinner with a bunch of founders and have a very intimate setting. But I think it's just as important to then kind of look back and say, what did we learn? Why is this important? And how do we feed that into what we're building at Recharge? And you've done such a fantastic job about that. And my favorite part is your takeaways kind of align with a lot of stuff we've been talking about on this show in the news for the last couple of weeks. So it's all the stars are all aligning. Alignment. Uh, yeah. We love it. We love it. <laughs> Kat, thank you so much for coming on the recap. Listeners, stay tuned. I've got a couple news pieces to cover. We got some fun news. We got some Shopify news. We got some loyalty talks to talk about. We will be right back. So we have talked about this story previously this season, but because it came back in the news in the last week or so, figured we'd touch on it again. Clavio has filed confidentially for US IPO. So Clavio works with over 100,000 merchants running email, text messaging, really comes for a lot of the D2C and e-commerce brands. It is very exciting to see them move towards this IPO, and we will continue to watch and give you updates on anything that might happen. Okay, now on to some very important Shopify news if you are running an e-commerce brand, and also very exciting news just for the space in general and the growth that it is having, that e-commerce is having right now. Shopify came out with a report after working with one of the big three global management consulting companies. They gave them all their data. They looked at all of the checkout data compared to their biggest customers, Salesforce, Magento, BigCommerce specifically. And they have found data that Shopify converts up to 36% better in checkout. Let's talk about a couple of these stats that they, they mentioned. So after months of this independent study, they found that Shopify's overall conversion rate outpaces the competition by up to 36% and by an average of 15%. That's a lot of increase on conversion at checkout. Continuing on with this article, it also really showed the power of ShopPay, which I think if you're listening to this podcast, you should know what ShopPay is and have probably used it and probably have the app on your phone. When shop pay is used by a consumer, it can lift conversion by as much as 50% compared to guest checkout. That is outpacing other checkouts by at least 10%. 
And the mere presence of ShopPay in the checkout, according to this study, can increase lower funnel conversion by 5%. These are percentage numbers that e-com brands, operators, founders would dream of finding in their improvement. So this is a really big deal. Here at Recharge, we are very excited about this. This is great news for brands that are working and operating within the Shopify ecosystem. And to get ahead of any misconceptions, there may be about a legacy Recharge checkout in the wild on Twitter, on LinkedIn, about Recharge legacy checkout and Recharge not being integrated with Shopify checkout. Recharge does support Shopify checkout. We have thousands of merchants using it successfully and getting the real benefit out of those conversion numbers that Shopify is reporting on. So if you are using Recharge and you want to convert over to the Recharge Shopify checkout, reach out to our team. We will make sure there is a link in the show notes for where to go if you are looking to do that and haven't done it yet. Okay, now on to Facebook meta social shopping. We got some quick news here. First, from Meta, in recent news, they announced they will be phasing out onboarding of new shops without checkout on Facebook and Instagram enabled. In beginning April of next year, shops without checkout on Facebook and Instagram enabled will no longer be accessible, meaning the experience from Facebook or Instagram ad to checkout will all happen within the hosted shops on those channels, which is a very interesting piece of news to follow the Shopify checkout news, right? I think that there can be lots of different opinions on this. Some may say it's going to cut into more margins for brands. Some say it is taking any control of the checkout experience away from these brands. All of that may be true, but at the same time, this transition is going to help customers get through that conversion quicker, especially the ones that would rather stay in app and really go through that whole purchase funnel. So something to think about, definitely considering how do your Facebook and Instagram shops look? How do they function? Are you applying CRO best practices? Because you are likely to continue to see more and more consumers purchasing through this shop instead of going all the way to your site and your checkout. Also announced this week from Meta, Meta is testing a new feature they are calling quote unquote promotional ads. Meta is claiming it will make it easier for shoppers to take advantage of seasonal sales, discounts, promotions, et cetera, from brands. Essentially what this is going to look like is if you are scrolling Facebook and you see an ad and that ad can now have a promotion embedded right into it. So as a consumer, they can click through, go into that checkout. It'll automatically apply the discount rather than having to type it in, allowing brands to really tie the experience of promotions to checkout all in one place. It looks very good and very nice, but there is a lot to talk about about this. Also in this announcement, Meta also said it is testing a new functionality they are calling conditional questions to help with lead generation by updating question and answer forms automatically based on the customer responses. So 
we can see Meta really testing a lot in the AI world, in the post iOS world, trying to give merchants a little more clarity about who is buying, how they are buying, what they are purchasing. So these conditional questions give advertisers a new way to gather information on the users and the people interacting with their ads. So it can be thought a little bit as a quiz on your site where you are asking questions to then lead the consumer to the right product, to the right solution. Anybody who has been advertising on Facebook, both before and after the big iOS updates, knows that it's gotten increasingly hard to really understand who is purchasing, who your customer is, attribution of where they're coming from, what they're interested in, what they're thinking about. So these tools from Meta are designed to allow brands a little more access and visibility into these things. And there is a quote that I would love to read from this article on Modern Retail. This is from Meredith Schoenberger, who is the creative director and partner at Biddyco. An advertising agency works with brands like Magic Spoon, Bloom, June Shine, some great brands. She was quick to add that with these promotional ads, with these elevated tools on making the experience more cohesive from promotion to purchase to checkout, is that potentially this hurts the smaller brands who do not have the margin to be in a consistent discounting cycle. This is something we talk about all the time in D2C. Discounts can be a hamster wheel. They can get very addicting in the sense that you can plug a promotion. It'll work. You'll get more sales in. But we've also had lots of conversations about when to do a sale, how to do the right sale, how to think about discounts or not do discounts based on how your brand is portrayed in the market. And you really have to think about whether or not or when you discount because it can devalue your brand in the long run. It also just creates this flywheel where smaller brands are trying to keep up with these bigger brands that have the margins to lose profitability on purchase one, to use promotions as a test, even though they may not be actually great, healthy, sustainable margins. It will be very interesting to see how some of these tools start to impact the paid side of D2C and how brands get creative in using these tools without disrupting the heart of their business. This will be something we continue to watch. Meta is doing all sorts of things. Now for some much-needed good D2C news. We have seen so many merchants, especially this year, hold back on D2C or shift resources that were previously going towards the D2C channel and pushing them to retail operations, whether it's owned retail, wholesale retail, store-in-store -store retail, experiential retail. There's all different ways, but we have both heard from our merchants and seen it in action. Kind of this shift almost back to retail, definitely back to omni-channel. And with that, we're hearing a lot of things like, I was talking to a merchant recently who plans to completely pull out of D2C by the end of this year. 
other brands who have let go of their entire D2C team or have one person just kind of keeping the lights on on the D2C channel. It's a very interesting thing that's happening in our industry. And I think it can get very hard and almost disappointing or discouraging for smaller brands who do not have a retail-ready product, who are not built to go into shelves on Target, Walmart, Sprouts, whatever it is, or who don't have the retail chops yet, and they're still trying to get their feet, trying to understand their customer. And seeing a lot of these stories can be very, very scary for a brand like that. So good D2C news. So it really seems growth across the business, but especially in the D2C channel, demonstrating Canada Goose's real commitment to expanding on that and working the omni-channel levers to make sure the D2C channel is also growing. Danny Rice, their chairman and CEO, said, quote, this is a testament to the strength of the brand, and this momentum has continued alongside encouraging results in North America in fiscal 2024 year to date. I think this is a very, very good quote that could be just kind of read through and breezed past, but something unique about the D2C channel compared to retail, especially wholesale retail, is that it requires that deep brand work, the real community efforts, encouraging people to shop on your site, giving them a reason to come back to your site again and again. And so it's really, really cool to see a brand like Canada Goose focusing on this channel, doing really creative things, utilizing owned retail to not only grow retail and the business, but to grow the D2C side as well. And we will continue to watch out for brands like this. My guess is apparel is going to continue to grow a lot in the D2C channel as they can do very creative things. We're already seeing some apparel brands doing things like memberships and credits and very unique loyalty plays in order to keep people coming back and shopping within their entire category of products. On that, Canada Goose does plan to launch more products this coming year to really keep that orbit of brand connection with their consumers. Simply put, a lot of times the goal is as simple as this. If I am running Kristen's clothing company, my dream customer is somebody who is walking around in public wearing my hat, my shirt, the pants that we just released, the exclusive shoes we did a partnership with Hoka, our socks, maybe a backpack. I want my consumer to live and breathe my entire brand. And that is where you really see that, that D2C loyalty being created is when you can get a customer so locked in that so much of what they're buying stays within your shop. I'm excited about this one, if you can't tell. Let's keep going. All right, we got lots of loyalty love this week. Let's talk loyalty schemes, memberships, subscriptions, lots of stuff coming out in this world. Obviously, we love that here at Recharge as that is our bread and butter. Retention. We love it. Okay. First one I want to mention. 
Best Buy adding tiers to their membership program. First of all, I didn't know Best Buy had a membership program, but that's also because I don't buy a lot of tech from Best Buy. They really revamped this whole membership program that they have. Starting June 27th, the membership program will now have three tiers instead of the initial one kind of loyalty membership scheme. It will be My Best Buy, My Best Buy Plus, and My Best Buy Total. I'm not going to lie. I kind of hate those names, but that is not my job to talk about the naming conventions. Anyways, each level of this membership includes a different range of benefits, deals, access to exclusive events, free shipping, etc. The first one starts as free and then you are paying to get into the higher level tiers for Best Buy. We've been talking a lot about memberships in the industry and here at Recharge as we are building memberships right now and even have brands running on the early adopter program and having so much success. What I find really exciting, relatable to you, the listener, from this story about Best Buy is that a lot of times we kind of look towards big brands to see what the trends are going to trickle down. They are able to kind of lead how commerce is moving forward. And then it is up to us to figure out what of it can we do? How do we apply that to our businesses? What resources do we have to make this an opportunity for our brand and our customers? So I think this one, really adding tiers to a membership program, starting to charge for the membership program to get into extra benefits really shows us that If big brands are doing it, small brands can do it too. I think what's really cool about this Best Buy move into tiers is they're actually giving more of their consumers better access to Best Buy and to being loyal to Best Buy regardless of their economic level. So this kind of model of quote-unquote low-end membership versus high-end membership really almost sets up this gamified journey, this aspirational journey for a consumer. So, you know, at the bottom end, I am loyal to this brand and I'm aspirational to become even more loyal to the brand, to buy more, to get more invested in this side of my life. And on the higher end of these tiers, you're having the consumer showing up as, I am so loyal to this brand that I want every single thing they can give me. I want all the benefits. I want all the access because when I need to buy something that Best Buy and Amazon both have in stock, I want to go to Best Buy and I am now incentivized to go to Best Buy and I am encouraged to go to Best Buy and I get to vote with my dollars. So this creates kind of this new world of consumers identifying within the tiers and being able to start growing towards them. So you're not just an aspirational brand from the outside for acquisition. Once you get into the brand's orbit, you get into the Best Buy universe, you are now aspiring to get closer and closer and closer. I love it. I love it. Next, quick story about how we're really starting to see retention being the most important thing for everybody from big box retailers to small D2C brands to a mom and pop shop at the farmer's market. And again, looking at the top, top brands, the big markets to see what trends are happening. Hy-Vee 
launches a new Hy-Vee Healthy You subscription service. This is very interesting. It's a service that helps individuals create a personalized health and wellness plan. Subscriptions include two 30-minute appointments per month with a Hy-Vee dietitian, unlimited access to fitness videos. Right now, there's 40-plus episodes available, on-demand freezer meal workshops, wellness classes, nutrition programs, free registration into wellness challenges, the Hy-Vee Dietitian private chat portal, two health screenings per year. This subscription is available for $99 a month, and it is rolling out. Little bit on the expensive side, unless you are a consumer where this is something you are working on, you are trying to be a healthier version of yourself, and you are already at Hy-Vee every single Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day that you go grocery shopping, you already buy your supplements and vitamins and healthy food from Hy-Vee. You might even go to Hy-Vee's version of a little clinic because it's accessible and easy. You probably have a scannable card that gets you rewards at Hy-Vee that you can also redeem for gas. And now we are going into paid subscriptions. So we are really seeing changes in loyalty schemes as a whole. And we're starting to see like Best Buy, we are seeing these paid for subscriptions and memberships come out at the top of the top. So as a brand, you should be thinking about how these trends might impact you. I think it'll be very interesting to see how this rolls out. I also really love how this connects retail and e-commerce and data and customer information into one holistic view for the brand. You're going to better understand your most loyal customers and the ones who are truly committed to the universe that you and your products are building. Lastly, on loyalty, Oof. we are seeing some retailers start to pull back on loyalty a little bit. The title of this article on modern retail, retailers like Duncan and Sephora are getting stingy with loyalty program perks. This article is one I would highly recommend reading in full. I will give you a quick synopsis, but there is so much to unpack here. They reference quite a few different programs. They reference Best Buy's My Best Buy loyalty program that we just mentioned. They made changes where they're moving customers into the paid, which means they took away some benefits on the free loyalty tier and added them into the higher levels. Dunkin' Donuts is another example they revamped their entire loyalty program in October. That revamp resulted in members having to collect more points and spend more money to redeem the same rewards that they were previously getting. Sephora has also had some backlash on this. Earlier this month, they added a minimum purchase requirement in order for the Beauty Insider members to get their free birthday gift reward, which is a very highly loved and celebrated perk. Now you have to pay a minimum of $25 in order to get access to that birthday gift reward. Lots to unpack here, right? Really the reasoning behind a lot of these changes is that retailers are looking to cut costs due to market headwinds, inflation, economic uncertainty, the price of raw goods, the supply chain cost. And so it's creating a little bit of this distortion 
between consumers because consumers are also facing all of these things as well. And so everybody is trying to save money. And so we're watching retailers pull back on things that their most loyal customers really loved and were incentivized to use because it helped lower costs for them and it helped them become committed to brands even while economic changes are happening. So a lot of these updates aren't being received well by loyalty program members, which is a scary and dangerous thing to enter into. But here's a thing that I've been thinking a lot about after reading this article, is these programs are built to incentivize a consumer to come to your store over another store for a certain reason, and you really have to understand what those psychological reasons are before making changes or rolling out a new program. So Best Buy is a good case for this. They have a free shipping benefit in its loyalty program, but you also are required to input a credit card to gain points. And it seemed that some of these changes made shoppers a little bit upset because the reason that they were loyal to Best Buy maybe wasn't about the shipping because a lot of them had said, hey, we can get free shipping from other retailers. That's nothing special. The point system that you created that allowed me to gain credit and come back and get essentially a discount because there's cash back applying to it is the reason that I came to Best Buy to buy my laptop, a cell phone, a GPS tracker, a new iHome. Whoa, it is not 2008 anymore, Kristen. Nobody's buying iHomes. But it was the points and the consumer's understanding that they are going to need to buy more electronics. And therefore, if I can shop through Best Buy and earn points in the future, that helps me with my cost of the next good that I have to buy. So as Best Buy changes how those points are applied and what you have to do to get into those points, it's taken away the real incentive for some of these consumers to be loyal to Best Buy, right? Very interesting, especially that we are kind of seeing these two sides. Best Buy going into memberships, we're excited about the tiers, but at the same time, there was potentially a misunderstanding of the psychology behind why somebody was loyal in the first place, making some of these changes potentially risky. It seems the biggest complaint on social media on forums, on Reddit, from consumers is less about the changes themselves and more about the way that these brands are communicating the changes or not communicating the changes. It seems a little bit mm, insulting, I think, to some consumers to have a change happen without really understanding why why it may be better for the consumer in Best Buy's case, there is probably a lot to be said about how they are making the loyalty programs and the membership better for the consumers in the end. But if that is not communicated clearly, all a consumer is going to feel is something being taken away from them, which is never a place you want to put your consumers in. There is a quote in this article from a Reddit user that I think really sums up how consumers are feeling just as 
an example of a little bit of that inconsistent messaging. Dunkin' Donuts took to Twitter saying, after a few years, it was time for a change. We listened to our members' feedback, made several new enhancements, like redeeming points for rewards on food and drinks. Interesting, though, that they responded to a Twitter user who was a little concerned about the changes, not happy, saying, we listened to you guys, which is why we changed it. And yet the response feels like maybe they didn't actually listen to their customers about the best changes because on the flip side, Duncan told Wall Street Journal that these changes were made to reflect the rising cost of making a drink. So on one hand, you have the official brand saying this is because of the feedback we got from our members and we want to make the loyalty program better and allow you to redeem the way that is most exciting for you. And on the other hand, saying this is because things are more expensive for us, so we're transferring that cost to the customer. Very important that if you're going to make changes in your loyalty schemes or going to launch a new loyalty plan, that you are messaging it across the board with your consumers in mind. They are your ultimate audience and with clarity, transparency, and consistency. There is a professor of marketing from Georgetown University also quoted in this article, and I really love his take here. He's saying, people should be able to trust a retailer to uphold their end of the bargain. And this is really the responsibility of the retailer, of the brand, is to take the time to create programs that are sustainable and that are actually a fit to what the customers need and that if changes have to be made, they are doing it for the customer, not just to save themselves money and pass that cost on to the customer, right? And something he said here was, when people sign up for a loyalty program or a membership, a consumer is not just spending their dollars to the retailer, which is already a big vote, but they're also sharing their personal information. In order to join most loyalty membership programs, you're having to give your name, your email, potentially your birthday, maybe your favorite kind of food or your mother's maiden name or the first street you grew up on or the first version of your car. There is so much that we actually do then give to these retailers because the reward is worth it. This professor is quoted saying, it is insulting in some way when you engage in that relationship incentive cycle. It's bad for business. I'm just going to let that one hang in the air a little bit. Later on in this article, the VP of content for retail and e-com at Insider Intelligence was interviewed and quoted a bunch. This is one take that I find very interesting. She is saying that these changes seem to be designed to reward repeat shoppers. Now, I feel like this is inherent in a loyalty program is the goal is repeat buying. But she goes into more detail into something very specific about repeat shopping. She says that retailers are likely adjusting their loyalty programs to encourage a change in customer behavior. Sounds about right. and get them to transact more often. I think that is so important. It's not necessarily just about getting them to buy multiple times, 
but it's also about closing the gap between purchases. So if it now takes me twice as many points to get a free drink from Dunkin', am I going to come at the same rate that I was before but have to go a longer time before I get that dopamine boost of a free drink, get that reward that I've kind of invested in the journey of chasing? Or am I still looking for that reward along the same time frame, whether I consciously know it or not? And then will I go to Dunkin' every day instead of every other day? So really getting people to come back at a quicker cadence. There is something very interesting in here. There is something very interesting and applicable to brands at any size, especially e-commerce brands, in this idea. Not only can you get them to come back, can you get them to come back faster? And there are lots of ways to do that. Everything from changing the size of your product to the timing of your messaging to category expansion so you can realistically hit them again with offers, messaging, loyalty schemes, all the things. This is going to be something I'm going to dig into more because I find it very interesting to think not just about getting a repeat purchase, but the cadence and timing and speed at which you can do it. This is all to show that loyalty is everything right now for retailers. It's everything for brands. It is so expensive to get a new customer that we are getting extremely creative and strategical about how we're getting people to come back and stay in our brand universe and to buy again and to buy faster again. And this is everything that Recharge is working on, building for, this is why we're building into credits, this is why we're building memberships, this is why we're building automated flows so that you can really compete with these retailers and create unique, highly valuable experiences for your customers. My biggest piece of advice, talk to your customers, know your customers, actually get real feedback and service them with the rewards and benefits that they actually want that actually encourage them to come back to your brand. Yeah? Okay. And side note, if you don't know what I'm talking about, all those new things I just mentioned that Recharge is building, go back and listen to the recap where I sit down with Oshin O'Connor, our CEO, and talk about this new vision for Recharge. It is one of my favorite conversations of the year, and it really goes into what commerce is moving towards. We talk about all these loyalty changes and really why and how we are building for you for this future so you can win and compete even with the biggest brands in the world. All right, let's wrap it up with some fun news because I feel like that was brainy today. We really had to think. We had to process. We had to maybe take down notes. I did, that's for sure. So let's have some fun news, launches, celebrations, things we're seeing in the market. Last week, we saw a really exciting Target launch with a new flavor from Oat House. I absolutely love what they're doing. I love how they're building through founder channels, through their content, and they launched across the board in Target and are encouraging their customers to go purchase in Target in order to show them that they will sell through. Also very interesting and very smart and very cool that they released a new flavor only at 
target to really drive that partnership, the relationship, and their customers to get into the retail stores without cannibalizing their D2C channel. I feel like we've we've talked about that a couple times. Also announced recently, Michelle Obama is entering CPG, celebrity-led brands. She is taking on a new role as the co-founder of Plezzy Nutrition, aims to market food and beverage for kids that are tasty and healthy. This is right in alignment with everything Michelle Obama has done with a lot of initiatives, both in the White House and post-White House era. So that will be an interesting one for us to watch. Leading a non-alcoholic craft beer, athletic brewing, and JetBlue strike a partnership. First of its kind. Very exciting. Athletic brewing has had some really big wins, and this is an exciting, cool channel for them to find new customers. So we shall see how this works. But now if you are writing JetBlue and you want the taste of beer but not the hangover when you land, get yourself an athletic brewing. From the world of food still, I fucking love this one. Mac and cheese meets white chocolate with Velveeta truffles. Just think about that. Velveeta truffles. They look exactly how they sound. This is a collaboration between Compartes and Velveeta shells and cheese. It is a beautiful box. It looks like you pull it open. Each individual chocolate is shaped like the iconic Velveeta liquid gold shell. I don't know how this would taste to have a, a it's a white chocolate Velveeta cheese combination. I care less about the flavor, to be honest, more about how iconic and weird and shocking and newsworthy this partnership is. And if anybody is listening from Compartes or Velveeta or has a hookup, I would love to try these because I am a Velveeta shells and cheese stan for life. Mm. And the last one, because it caused a very funny conversation between my mom and I, there is a cannabis cracker brand called Tempo who landed some funding to expand into new markets. I have never heard of cannabis crackers. And my first thought was, honestly, why do we need cannabis in a cracker? It's like putting CBD in leggings. It seems odd and a weird application and how will it taste? And this is where my mom comes in. My parents are visiting. I am reading this article. I mention it out loud. I say, who would need truffle Parmesan weed crackers? I don't get it. And my mom, a professional violinist who has no connection to the e-commerce world, is not an industry expert, thinks that I was putting WD-40 on actual shopping carts when I worked at Shopify. Not really. That's a joke. But it explains the context. She looked at me and said, Kristen, why wouldn't they put cannabis in crackers? It creates an entire flywheel for the product itself. You eat a bunch of crackers, you get stoned, you get hungry, and you eat some more crackers. Mm, that is product-based retention right there. That only my mom caught when I didn't. And now I feel like I really need to try the crackers. So again, if you know where I can find them, hit me up. All right, guys, that was another Friday recap. 
with KLF. And what a fun one it was. Had an interview, lots of news, getting real heady into some some loyalty changes and ending up with stoner talk. Kind of story of my life. I will see you guys next Friday. As always, check the show notes for links to every single article we mentioned. Rate and review this show. Would love to hear what you guys are thinking, how you're feeling about it, if there's anything you want me to cover. And do make sure to follow me on Twitter or connect with me on LinkedIn so we can talk about other exciting things that are happening. Thanks, guys. See you next week.